Hello, Katawanto Kierakamlo Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, Nikoroi Hawkins. Coming up. Based on our assessment and the data that we've captured in, in this exercise, we're rating this as possibly the worst election. Transparency International in PNG are calling for better preparations for future elections. Also, Niue's Premier Dalton Tangalangi makes his first official visit to New Zealand two years after his election. But that's all due to COVID, but here I am, and um, how fittingly that we have these discussions after our meetings in the forum. And later on in the program... It's one of the largest studies of ancient and modern DNA from Micronesia. A new study has helped solve some of the mystery around the origins of Micronesian peoples. The chair of Transparency International in Papua New Guinea, Peter Aitsi, says there have to be major changes to how the country prepares for future national elections. Mr Aitsi spoke to Don Wiseman about the solutions to violence and other disruptions in the current poll. But he began by agreeing with other commentators that this latest election may be the worst the country has experienced. I have seen a few, and Transparency International PNG has been involved in the uh, monitoring and observation of, I think, at least four of our of our last elections. Uh, and based on our assessment and based on the data that we've captured in, in this exercise, we're rating this as, as possibly the worst election uh, that we've ever had. What's gone wrong, Peter? Uh, there's a number of factors, but I think the principal problem we face is that uh, the preparations for this elections have been left well and truly too late. Um, I think uh, the appointment of the electoral commissioner was made months before the writs were due to be uh, uh, issued. There was no attention given to the updating of the uh, electoral roll. And so as a result, that wasn't updated and uh, caused real problems for uh, particularly our younger voters that were now at an age to vote. So many people were sort of disenfranchised by uh, not being on the electoral roll. So that compounded with just, I think, the inability of the Electoral Commission to prepare for the elections, to be able to mobilise the workforce that was required to then be able to move uh, ballot papers and just have the logistical arrangements in place to conduct an efficient and a proper election. Okay, so to ensure that in 2027 something similar doesn't happen, what needs to be done? From TIPNG, we've stated this in our last report in 2017, and that is the government needs to ensure that it puts together a task force that is able to draw on the lessons learned from each of our elections and clearly put in place a program that starts to address these issues from day one of the election cycle, which is the formation of government. We still maintain that position, and we as a group that has provided reports over the years are most willing to partner with people like the NRI and other international agencies agencies to be able to, in a way, have a community-based oversight of this process to ensure that these reforms are carried through so we don't repeat the mistakes in 2027. How valid can any government be uh, that's elected as a result of this very messy election? Yeah, look, Don, I mean, the, the election, as we know, underpins our democracy. So, I mean, the elections are very important in, in providing that foundation for our democracy. And so, if the elections are tainted, if, the, if there's any suspicion or if there's any concern around the integrity of, of the elections, then that flows into the public's trust uh, with respect to the members that are elected, the legitimacy of those elected members, 
and it further undermines the credibility of the government that's formed, um, both in terms of the domestic uh, reputation, but also internationally. When people look at a government that's possibly come through by a, a dubious process, you know, clearly they, they don't have the credibility. So that's our concern, is that um, we may be faced with that type of outcome if, if you know, this election continues in, in its current form, or if there are multiple electorates that, have, that are unfortunately uh, will be rated as failed. Yes, in those failed uh, electorates, will there be by-elections, do you think? Yes, uh, there will be by-elections if if electorates are classified as failed. And the issue for us there is that those members of the failed electorates will not participate in the formation of government or in the selection of a prime minister. So those constituents will essentially not be represented in that very important decision. Is TI confident that a legitimate government can emerge from all of this? Um, look, I, I wouldn't use the word confident, but I think we need to perhaps try and get an outcome which at least has some some level of credibility, and then from there be able to start the work to reform the electoral the electoral system so that it can really uh, underpin our democracy and, and provide a greater opportunity for our people to have their say. On Thursday, the Premier of Niue travelled to New Zealand where he met Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern and other ministers in Wellington. It was his first official bilateral overseas visit since becoming Premier in June 2020. Among the topics discussed were climate change, oceans, COVID-19 recovery and Kiribati's exit from the Pacific Islands Forum. RNZ Pacific's Elisha Foon has more. symbolic welcome for Nuez leader at Parliament in Wellington. It's the second time he's met with Jacinda Ardern in two weeks following the recent Pacific Islands Forum in Fiji. He also met with Foreign Affairs Minister Nanaya Mahuta and Minister for Pacific Peoples Alpito William Seo. Thank you Prime Minister for Lafalahiatu and Kiara to Aotearoa and the people of New Zealand. Indeed, uh, as you all know, this is my first visit since I became a leader, even though it's two years down the road, but that's all due to COVID. But here I am, and um, how fittingly and, and timely also that we have these discussions after our meetings in the forum. The two leaders re-signed a statement of partnership between Nui and Aotearoa New Zealand, a reflection to show two nations' commitment to work together on priority areas like climate change and economic resilience. As Nui is a realm country to New Zealand, they also have citizenship, something Jacinda Ardern holds as significant. Specifically for Nui in New Zealand, it's reaffirmation of an existing relationship. Certainly from our perspective, our relationship with Nui is special, uh, obviously given our history and the arrangements that we have. Nui holds a very special place in in my heart and my family's heart, and so to be able to welcome you here, Premier, um, has been uh, fantastic. Nui's leader says locals are still on edge four weeks after opening its borders. Although there is still no community transmission, cases are arriving at the border. Premier Tangelangi says COVID is the new norm and something they have to get used to as tourists return. The COVID situation at the moment is stable, and again, how thankful we are in that relationship that we have with New Zealand, that realising that we are reopening our borders, they have, uh, we have some support on the ground from here, which really helps. It's not easy. It's still that 
element of uncertainty for the locals. Tangilangi says Nui's priorities were ocean-related and that climate change was the biggest existential threat besides COVID. As to Kiribati's surprise exit from the Pacific Islands Forum ahead of the recent leaders' meeting in Fiji, he says he hopes Kiribati will reconsider its decision ahead of next year's summit, which will be in the Cook Islands. These things are fresh. Sometimes it takes time to um, to sort of start to realise what their decision that, that's all about. But as mentioned, there will always be the family of the Forum and the door is always open when they're ready to return. Still on New Air, but from a sporting perspective, the so-called Rock of Polynesia, also affectionately dubbed the smallest nation with the biggest heart, has 15 athletes en route to Birmingham to take on some of the world's mightiest sporting nations in next week's Commonwealth Games. Susanna Suisuiki caught up with some of the delegation, which includes a familiar government figure. Team Mewe includes 10 lawn bowlers, 4 boxers and 1 weightlifter. Among them is Premier Delta Tangilangi, who will be competing alongside her son in lawn bowls. During his official visit to New Zealand, Mr Tangilangi says it's important the Rock of Polynesia's presence is felt at the Games. I know the team's been training very hard. I will be, I'm looking forward to joining them tomorrow. Wish us all, all the luck. I know it's pretty warm there, just like New England, the grass is similar to what we have back home. Participation in, 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 uh, on these things are very uh, important. It's one of those life experiences that you can't take away. Ahead of their departure, Team Newey gathered in Auckland to announce the competitors and officials. Olivia Buckingham was named as Newey's flag bearer, and she says it was a celebratory yet bittersweet moment. That became a very emotional moment when um, they told me that I was going to be the flag bearer because my, um, my nana and granddad are not alive anymore. I know they're looking down, but they're not here to witness, witness it. So, yeah, it was... It was really emotional for me. With Roots in Avatelia Village, Olivia will also be competing in lawn bowls, a sport that her father introduced her to. While she's achieved much success in lawn bowls, Olivia says the sport hasn't come without its challenges. Look, I'm not going to lie. Um, bowls is a, a rich band sport, and I'm not racist or anything, but I did have a racist comment made to me about bowls. It's not a good feeling. So, I, you know, we, we go out there and we smash it for, for the Pacific nation. As a sole weightlifter in Team Niue, Giovanni Toimata's curiosity to try the sport two years ago opened up doors to compete at a global level. Earlier this year, Giovanni placed second at the Olympic Weightlifting New Zealand International. Working as a full-time rehabilitation specialist, Giovanni says being an athlete is something he's still getting the hang of. I've always been the one behind the scenes. Like I was, I've always been the one that makes the athletes, that will help the athletes because um, part of my job was to um, rehab athletes and do a little bit of high-performance stuff. So to be on the other side of that, um, I think some people thought I was joking. That, that's one of the big things that I had to learn was actually putting myself first. Taking up the mantle as the manager for Newey's boxing team has been quite a journey for Lorena Thompson. Newey's four main boxing team includes New Zealand national champions Xavier Mataafa Ikinofo and Dukan Williams. The pair plus Travis Tapatuetoa and Danira Armstrong Pau are coached by International Boxing Association coach Lolohe Muli.
Lorena says preparations for the Commonwealth Games has been hectic. Coming into these games, it was all a learning curve to um, navigate all of the administration, but then also the cost of a camp for four boxes. Our camp cost us uh, just over $25,000 to get them uh, prepped. So we're talking about um, dieticians, um, strength and conditioning coach, coaching, um, our coach. Yeah, it's been a lot. It's been hectic. And we actually yeah, got our own uh, interim national federation over the line just in time for the cutoff. While expectations vary among Niue's athletes, Olivia says Niue's representation at the Commonwealth Games is already a win for the country and the region. It doesn't matter if you're, you're Rarotongan, um, uh, Samoan or Tonga. It doesn't matter. You're still under the Pacific nation. So I hold the flag for them. I hold the flag for um, all our people. The origins of the peoples that make up the Micronesian islands has been a mystery until now. Analysis of ancient DNA has shown that the Micronesians came from East Asia and Polynesia more than 3,000 years ago. New insights have been from research by academics at the University of Hawaii. One anthropology emeritus professor, Michael Petrusewski, explained to Don Wiseman what they found. What we've learned from this particular study, which is one of the largest uh, studies of ancient and modern DNA from Micronesia, from inhabitants present and past, that we've learned uh, a great deal. Uh, And we also learned that the sources of the people of this vast region are quite complicated and they have multiple sources of origin. And uh, that begins with the very earliest, which... uh, 3,000 years ago, approximately, in western part of Micronesia, that is where Guam and the northern Marianas are, uh, received some of the very first people, and they presumably are coming from a southern source. I prefer Southeast Asia rather than East Asia. And then this was followed by later intrusions of people, again, some from southern source that also peopled Palau in the western Micronesia. And then we have later sources coming from the New Ireland Bismarck Archipelago region of New Guinea into central portions of Micronesia at a later date. And then we have a very unusual and unexpected intrusion of people coming from the northern coast of New Guinea, again, into central and all the way to Palau. And finally, there's a later admixture of people coming out of what would become Polynesia into eastern part of Micronesia. So the sources of populations are quite diverse. And what's surprising is the very early dates of the very first ones, because in this paper, we sampled ancient DNA from some of the very first inhabitants of Guam, and they showed that they were similar to later intrusions of so-called latte people who came later, all coming from the southern source, I say Southeast Asia, island Southeast Asia in particular. So there were a number of interesting finds here. And as I said, this is one of the very, very first studies that encompassed this large region and had a variety of samples, both living and ancient. Are any of those waves more dominant than the other? In terms of contributions, I, we don't think we could really parcel out that uh, the percentage of 
It's just in terms of antiquity. They could be timed, at least. The five lineages of the five streams of migration certainly had a a clock, the earliest up to the very last. The Polynesians were the last uh, contributions to the gene pool of Micronesians today. And that very first one, responsible for some of the very first people who reached Guam, was uh, almost 2,000 years earlier than the, the later uh, intrusions of people. Yeah, in terms of, of numbers, uh, the percentages, yes, certainly, I'm sure to say there's another very important finding. The earliest people of Guam had no Papuan influence, and this is very surprising and different from the rest of Southwest Pacific, including Polynesia, which all have at least some Papuan influence as they picked up uh, along their migrations genes from uh, Papua, uh, what is today we call Papua New Guinea and that region of uh, Bismarck and Admiralty Islands, etc., off the coast of New Guinea. Uh, of course, speaking to you from the most southerly part of the, the Polynesian yeah. uh, spread around the Pacific, and with this Polynesian spread into into the Micronesian area, are there still elements of Polynesia that can be identified now? Yes, in the terms of their genetic uh, components, there is a certain percentage, yes, of, of Polynesian ancestry in, I would say, this is uh, Eastern yes. and Central Micronesians. I mean, in terms yeah. of any sort of cultural sense. Well, uh, there are certain Polynesian outliers within so-called geographic. The other problem is, of course, these terms, Micronesia, Polynesia, and Melanesia, which are, of course, very, uh, don't always stand up integrity as being homogeneous cultural units. So using them as a geographical variant. But certainly there is contributions of Polynesian genes, which were brought by people who were (laughs) at that time in Polynesia into Micronesia. Now, I know you're an anthropologist, but this work in terms of analyzing the DNA, that was quite remarkable. Yes, this was to me. I also work in East Asia. I work in Southeast Asia, Thailand, Taiwan, and I have sent to these very same laboratories in Vienna and in Harvard samples from these other Neolithic, early Neolithic populations from which they were not able to get any viable DNA. So when I heard that these samples from Panape that we submitted and and those from Guam that were also part of this study actually did yield viable DNA, I was quite overwhelmed. I was very happy to hear that uh, they finally, some of these collections have been sitting around for almost 50 years. (laughs) So to get information out of it, more information, new kind of information, uh, genetic information, was quite astounding to me. Some of these go back 3,000 years in time, so that's quite remarkable, I would think. That brings us to the end of Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart, or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Thank you, Tomas, and look at me for that next time more.